Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play. Every Wednesday, in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 197, is a composer, a new voice to the show. It's Jan Morgenstern. Welcome to Sound of Play. Hi there, Leon. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. You are the perfect guest because you contacted us. We. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and rightfully so. I mean, it's fantastic. Um, this game uh, that we're going to be mainly focusing on, Fell Seal, Arbiter's Mark, just came out uh, last week for uh, PC, Mac. Uh, are all the versions out simultaneously, PS4 and Xbox One? Uh, pretty much, yeah. We're, we're out on, uh, yeah, as you say, PC, Mac, Linux, uh, P- PS4, Xbox. I heard through the grapevine that yep. um, a Switch version is in the works. Fantastic. That might hit hit the market uh, a couple of months later. Fabulous. Okay, I was I was going to ask about that, and I didn't know if you'd be able to save. So that's brilliant. Um, and I think I think this is the sort of game that will perhaps do the best on the Switch, maybe get the most attention on the Switch. Yeah, uh, just seems agree. to be the way things go these days. Um, so this game uh, has uh, yeah, it's been out a few days so far. It's had a few reviews. All the reviews it's had have been absolutely superb. It's had a couple of reviews on PC and uh, a review on uh, PS4. And the average review score is around 89%, which is absolutely superb. Yeah, we're we're very enthusiastic about those reviews. It's, it's kind of very encouraging. Yeah, we so I hadn't, I admit, I hadn't heard of this game until the day before you contacted me. Um, and it was when one of our forumites over at canarince.com slash forum started a thread saying this game is coming out and it looks amazing. Anyone who's a fan of traditional turn-based strategy, particularly Final Fantasy Tactics and its ilk, should be paying attention to this game. Uh, obviously, we've had a rousing start with the opening theme there. So can you set the scene a bit more about what uh, Felsil Arbiter's Mark is all about and what's it like? Of course. Um, as you said, it's very much a love letter to um, Final Fan- the Final Fantasy Tactics series and Ogre Tactics and uh, other games of its ilk. So it's a tactical role-playing game um, where the core game mechanic is about uh, basically building up your group of, of heroes and leveling them up and equipping them and teaching them new, uh, new abilities and pitting them against uh, both monsters and human opponents uh, in a series of... Um, um, battles, t- turn-based, turn-based battles that are pretty heavy on on tactics. 
So um, there's a lot of um, um, basically, uh, yeah, a lot of strategy involved in, in uh, trying to to uh, figure out where exactly the weak spots of your enemies might be, how you might use the terrain on which you're on which you're fighting to your advantage and uh, stuff like that. And the whole thing is um, wrapped into a, an epic fantasy story. Yes. And yeah. That's and what um, so is according to the credits I've found for you. This is your first video game, is that right? Uh, not entirely. No. Um, funnily enough, um, the head developer um, that initiated the project uh, was also the, my very first paid uh, paying client um, way back in the day, uh, even before I was a full time composer. That must have uh, been some twenty years ago or so. Oh wow! God, I'm old. <laughs> no, that uh, back then that was an also an RPG. Um, called Black Sigil, right? That yes, okay. That, and developed. that's yeah, you're that quite, was. of course. So that is that is on your credits list on the IMDb. But yeah, it's a big old gap since you last did a game. Kind of, yeah, yeah. I've been been mostly focusing on um, advertising and TV work uh, in the past decades. I I wouldn't be averse to doing more game stuff. Um, no. I I've done a couple of of mobile games and stuff like that, right? In between, I'm, but yeah. I'm sure uh, people hear this will hear the, your work on this show and uh, and be inspired to uh, to commission you for more such work. Um, genuinely, uh, like I as, before, I'd heard your your music. I said, of course, come on the show because I'm always happy to have composers on. But now I've listened to the music; it's really good. I really like it. It's um, uh, it sounds very um, high end, very top tier. I don't know. I mean, um, is it all is it all made in a studio, or did you have any? Have you got any real instruments on there? It's pretty much all sample based. This yeah. one, yeah, yeah. Some but... of those samples are. Uh, we have this conversation a lot, but uh, those samples are um, increasingly convincing. To uh, you know, they they sound increasingly organic. So you've you've got some Im impressive uh, libraries there of some of the um, some of the woodwind and stuff. Sounds really convincing. Well, thank you very much for the kind words. Uh, kind, kind words. You're welcome. I'm glad yeah. to hear that you like it. So yeah, uh, so we opened the show with the main titles. Um, and how much did you know of? How much did the developers tell you about the nature of the game and the style of the game and the the story and 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 all that going into it? Because it, it seems to vary quite a lot when we speak to developers as to how much they've been clued up on the sort of minutia of the project. Well, um, I was pretty lucky in this regard because um, the um, the entire development of the game was like actually un unusually transparent. Um, that's also due to the fact that it was uh, mostly crowdfunded. Right. So um, it started in uh, 2017. Like the the public facing part of the development started in 2017 with a Kickstarter mm -hmm. that went pretty well, and the game um, as soon as that was wrapped up, um, the game pretty much immediately entered. Uh, uh, an early access phase. I see. So I was able to to basically play um, fully functional prototypes from the very first day that I that I jumped on board. Nice. So you you're pretty. That's that's kind of um, yeah. I think that's unusual compared to the experience of a lot of composers, especially from as you say from perhaps the, you know the bigger, more secretive studios. Which is you yeah. You're kind of playing along, and I suppose you're actually thinking now. What would I like to listen to while I'm playing this game? 
Pretty much, yes. Yeah, yeah. I was lucky in that regard. I've, I definitely um, have have experienced both both sides. Um, I think usually it's it's not so much the problem um, that uh, the studio would be secretive um, because that's what NDAs are for. <laughs> that's right. a problem. Yeah. Sure. Um, but a lot of times um, at the at the point where you come on board. Um, there's either not quite enough material to really give you the full, the big picture. Yeah, yeah, sure. Or it's subject to change, which can be actually more, more, more deadly if you yeah. start relying on it too early. So yeah, yeah in, in, in both of those, in both of those cases, I can say that I've been very lucky with this project. Well, we'll talk more about uh, the different pieces from the game as we go through. We've got a, a few samples, but also, of course, as we always do when we have a composer on, we like to ask you to bring some of your favorites or pieces that have inspired you by other uh, composers from other games, perhaps games that you love and uh, or play and play, or sometimes just music that you love. Um, and you've brought one here, which uh, is uh, very much a favorite of mine as well from the incredible, everybody's gone to the rapture soundtrack by Jessica yeah. Curry. Uh, so this is finding the pattern. Um, did you first hear this in game or did you hear it outside no i first heard it in game i think the game is um remind me from 2015 or something correct yeah but i but i only got got around to to playing it a couple of months ago and it was quite plainly the the most recent time that uh, that a score in a video game just blew me away yeah it's just so so intricately beautiful and i th for me personally i think it's it's definitely doing the heavy lifting on making making the making a story that's essentially a series of expository dialogue um emotionally resonant uh, i think it's it's pretty amazing
That was Finding the Pattern by Jessica Curry from, of course, Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. We covered that on the Cana Rinse podcast, our other podcast, Deep Dive Review Show. Some time ago, go to canarinse.com and seek it out. I don't have the issue number to hand. Uh, but yes, uh, I did invite Jessica on the show. Sadly, she uh, very politely declined uh, due to other commitments. Um, but uh, one day, maybe I'll get back to her someday and uh, and try and persuade her to come on. But um, I hoped because um, she's local to me and uh, we share the love of the same football team. She's also <laughs> a, she's also a Brighton Hove Albion season ticket holder, same as I am. Um, but come that on, Jessica, what, what more do you need? <laughs> That's what I thought. That's what I thought. But uh, but no, it turns out she's got bigger fish to fry. But uh, but there you go. Um, we shall still continue to one day. obviously enjoy her incredible work. Absolutely. So I'm here with uh, Jan Morgenstern, composer for the, as we're recording, brand new video game, pretty much, Fell Seal, Arbiter's Mark. Oh, it's been around, as you say, it's been uh, been available in early access and things, but it is officially out now. And uh, so Jan wanted to come on and talk about it and his work on it. So here we are. And the next piece you'll be hearing. Uh, so we've got three different themed battle pieces. And I suppose it makes sense that uh, you brought these ones to us because... In a turn-based strategy game, you are going to be spending the most time on the battlefield. And what interested me about listening to these was thinking, now I know I didn't know the process at the time. You said that you were effectively playing the game and composing for it as you played kind of thing in your head and thinking, how would this, what would sound good here? What would sound right? But I think one of the, the trickiest things for a game like this is to write a piece of music. So you've written pieces that are almost four minutes long or around four minutes long for the battles. But they've got to be pieces that continue to be enjoyable and not annoy. Because you, if you, you might some of these battles. I don't know how what the average length of a battle in this game is, but you might be playing fifteen, twenty, twenty-five minutes, and you might hear the, the same piece of music several times. So, is there a particular art to writing a piece which continues to be enjoyable without getting annoying? Well, um, it's funny that you should mention that because that was actually one of the one of my main concerns going into this. The thing is, um, uh, when I when I came on on to the project and uh, had a lot of discussion with uh, with the head developer Pierre Leclerc, mm -hmm. and uh, we basically we settled pretty early on that um, um, that we wanted to go the orchestral route. Um, the thing is that um, he, like all, all the um, all the reference tracks he gave me, were mostly from from uh, Japanese games from the nineties. Like, yes, like just just like obviously the the aforementioned Final Fantasy Tactics. Yeah, and um, it's funny uh, every time I, I I listen to those, uh, the first thing that I notice is that um, they they really. They're they're not stingy with their ideas. No. They they are very very dense when it comes to arrangement and melody and harmony. Um, there's really not a lot of negative space going on. And um, I th that kind of makes sense um, when you um, when you consider that the games uh, that they're from um, that 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 kind of fits the the overall presentation of those games because they also kind of didn't pull any punches when it came came to the graphical presentation or the storyline yeah. right um so yeah that's that's definitely um 
that was definitely that was definitely a point um, that that Pierre wanted me to to keep in mind that um, he he wanted to have this this dance kind of um, appeal um, in, in in the music and of course that made me a little bit worried because um, as you say it's these these tracks most of these tracks are looping and mm. a lot of them will be heard more than once um, at a time yeah. And of course, there's always the the danger that at some point it it, it gets a little bit too, yeah, basically too obtrusive, too mm. too annoying. Um, I kind of I I I think the way I tried to dodge that what was by going for a lot of variation in in a small amount of time. Right. So they are still pretty pretty dense, um, but there's also um, there's a lot of of interplay between um, like more more heavily orchestrated passages and uh, some some breathers in between, and I kind of I'm just I'm just hoping that that I, I I didn't make them too annoying to listen to during a <laughs> during a 30, 30 minute battle because of course their their main purpose is to keep the momentum up even for yeah. thirty minutes, right? Mm. So um, yeah, that's just definitely a balancing act. So three of the battle themes we're going to hear, we've got forest, desert and jungle. And how, uh, so we're going to hear forest to start with. How did you make that one distinct from the others? What sounds did you bring in to make it sound like a forest battle? Um, that was actually the first the first battle theme that I wrote for the game. And um, I had this I had this idea that you can hear in the first, within the first, um, I think, um 20, 20 bars after after the intro um that the that the oboe is playing uh, or the english horn i i can't quite remember i had this mm. this melody um and it was uh, f- fairly distinctly uh, written in in the 7 8th meter so i kind of had this idea of of going a little more in the direction of odd and and compound meters um that's that's also true for a couple of the other battle themes and yeah, as you say, it's it's a forest battle, so I I went with a lot of wooden percussion and woodwinds because I yeah. guess I am a very literal man. <laughs> but it's interesting. I've talked to composers about this before and how the sounds that we associate with certain kinds of environments or atmospheres they are consistent. Um, and I can't remember which which one of the very clever composers I've spoken to over the years uh, was. We were talking about actually why there is this resonance between the the environment that you composers are trying to make something sound like and the what the instruments are made of and also like um they were talking particularly about how you know high chimey things do sound like the kind of acoustics you get when you're in icy atmosphere mm-hmm. similarly if you're in a wood the acoustics are bouncing off wood so it makes sense that wooden instruments would make the right noises so it would be i think it would be a real sort of it would be a, a ambitious to try to kind of completely convince people go like convince like totally juxtapose something that one wasn't expecting um and and make a completely different sort of soundscape for a for something that was called forest battle if you'd gone in there with i don't know um electric guitars <laughs> playing heavy metal it might have i mean it probably wouldn't have set the mood of the game at all but you you know what i mean yeah Oh, of course, you you can always. It's always it, it usually pays off to at least try that stuff once. But yeah, yeah. Huh. All right, let's hear it. Uh, the wooden sounds. Uh, 
The green sounds of Forest Battle by Jan Morgensen. From Felseal Arbiter's Mark, that's the first of three battle tunes we're going to hear. That's Forest Battle from the new game, the turn-based strategy that we're focusing on today, because Jan so excellently asked to come on the show and talk about it. I was going to ask you, uh, so you mentioned already uh, the inspirations for the game, particularly being things like Ogre Battle Tactics Ogre, Final Fantasy Tactics. 
were you are you very familiar with Hitoshi Sakimoto's work did you deliberately avoid Hitoshi Sakimoto's work going into the game or did you actually study it and think I want something that sounds a bit like this um it's neither I I neither was very familiar because um the the Final Fantasy Tactics is, is a series that didn't really um, that I didn't really have a lot of uh, experience going in. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know a, a couple of the, the Final Fantasy things I've played um, during the time when they was, were released. Uh, Final Fantasy Tactics were, for some reason, I, I don't know if it never made it big in Germany or anything. It didn't come out in Europe originally, no. I mean, ah. it's come out... Yeah, it didn't come out in Europe at all um, back in 97 when it came out in America. Uh, since it's been released on um, you know, on PSP and you can play it on Vita in the War of the Lions format, um, which was like a sort of uh, an updated version. Uh, well, it's still well worth playing, I'd say. But obviously in in the years since then, since 97, when this first came out, we've had dozens of games of a similar nature fire emblems got quite big over here we've got the disgaea series which which were up to five or six of those now i think as well but um but in my head um because i think I'm, i am quite familiar with uh, hitoshi sakimoto's music for both final fantasy tactics and things like uh, radiant silver gun and stuff like that uh, it's quite a strong association uh, he has an incredibly particular and uh, identifiable sound and you know, I was listening, uh, I've been listening to your tracks for the game and I didn't immediately think, oh, yes, he's he's gone for the Sakamoto there. But I did wonder if it was if it was there at all, but only in a minor way, I guess. Well, it came came up during the briefing, as I said, um, his tracks were definitely uh, very much present on the on the list of reference music uh, that I got. So, right. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, in terms of other music that you've enjoyed or has inspired you in recent times, we've got another track from a few years ago now and another game series that we've covered on the Cane and Rinse podcast, Life is Strange. And you've picked a piece uh, by Jonathan Morali called The Golden Hour. Uh, what do you remember about this one? Was this a series you enjoyed? Uh, very much so. Yeah, I was really impressed for, for all the... Um for all the mentions of uh, maybe maybe a little bit uh, maybe writing that's that might be a little bit too um yes uh sappy in in places or 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 dodgy um i think it did uh like the the core thing that it that it uh, tried to do um it did very successfully which is basically um yeah, presenting this this compelling narrative that you don't don't see this this young adult narrative that you don't see see all that often, mm. um, um, gotten across in, in in this way, and um, I, I I picked this this track because I was I was talking about a negative space in music earlier, and I think this is this is very much from that end of the scale where there's just so much room to breathe and. Uh, I think it's the menu music for that game, right? Mm, yeah, I, I, I think it's that that piece in particular pretty much sets the sets the mood for the entire game pretty perfectly. Um, usually, when people mention Life is Strange um, and Life is Strange music in particular, they're um, referring to the compiled tracks, to mm. the to the indie pop or indie rock uh, um, tunes that are in there, and yes. those definitely are all uh, expertly put put in there and selected yeah. for sure. Mm. But for me, it was uh, it, it was it, it it were those those um, those written for the game cues that really 
that really succeeded in in nailing down this this slightly melancholy atmosphere in the game. Golden Hour from Life is Strange by Jonathan Morali, as picked by my guest Jan Morgenstern, who is here joining us to talk about uh, his compositions for the uh, the new turn-based strategy game, Felsil, Arbiter's Mark. And the next piece we're going to hear is the, uh, the next battle theme, and this is for the desert. So, similar question to the last one, how do you make a battle scene sound like it's taking place in a desert? Or how do you accompany a desert battle scene with a piece of music, I suppose, is another way of asking it. Um, the desert, desert is um, um, the, the battles um, that are um, underscored with this music are occurring in the northeastern part of the map, like the far northeastern part. And um, mm. I kind of felt like um, that was a good excuse to play around a little bit with more exotic scales and exotic instrumentation. Uh, so that's that's kind of what carries the desert flavor in that in that cue.
that was Desert Battle by my guest Jan, Jan Morgenstern from Felsil Arbiter's Mark. Next up from Jan's selections, we have a piece from the very popular uh, Jake Kaufman, or Kaufman, uh, from Shovel Knights. We featured a number of tracks from this, uh, this OST over the years. The game is now, astonishingly, uh, five years old. We covered the main game in our last volume of podcasts last year, so check that one out. And later this year, because there was so much of it and it was so substantial, we're doing a separate podcast on the DLC, the various additions and add-ons and, and sub-stories that have become the whole Shovel Knight experience. Um, but this piece, I don't think we've played before. Forgive me if I'm wrong. Uh, so why did you pick In the Halls of the Usurper brackets, Pride More Keep? That yeah. one that one was a fairly easy pick. Um, I'm just a sucker for really good chiptune music and that doesn't get any better than Jay Kaufman. Um, I, I have no idea how he keeps cranking out those absolute bangers that stick <laughs> with you for yeah. weeks and <laughs> weeks. He has an amazing sense of of harmony and, and melody and I'm a little bit jealous. <laughs> and it's my favorite track from one of my favorite games. So, Can you uh, do chiptune music? I mean, obviously, we've already heard a few of your pieces which demonstrate your obvious, you know, m melodic chops and compositional chops. Is it complete? Is it is it a totally different skill set to make chiptunes? Could you could you make something that sounded like this? <laughs> I I I would love to to try my hand at it for if if that ever comes up in a project. Um, I did I have some experience uh, working with with uh, tracking tracker software. It's basically mm. where I where I started out making making uh, music using using electronic means. Um, so I like to believe that I have some of the skills that are required to do this. Do this kind of specific reduction of your ideas mm. into mm. into very um, uh, very uh, small um, uh, um, technological means. Yeah. Um, I, I would love to give it a try sometimes. I suppose what might happen is uh, when when Fell Seal is a massive hit, somebody will probably start chip tuning your tunes for the just for the fun of it, and to, you know, chip tune covers are a thing. I, I can't wait. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> let's hope that happens. All right, so let's hear one of the chiptune masters, Jake Kaufman from Shovel Knight.
In the Halls of the Usurper, Pride More Keep from uh, Shovel Knight, unmistakably, Yacht Club Games, of course. Check out our podcast and future podcast on that particular game. Next up, we have another battle theme, and this one is for the steamy, leafy jungle battles under the canopy. And uh, I'm not terribly original question, but what is it you did as a composer to make this one sound all jungly? <laughs> I pretty much went balls to the wall with a with a percussion. I think that's the right. that's the one yep. thing in this track that makes it stand out a little bit from the others. Um, I really wanted that that raw, visceral, uh, archaic feeling of because if you think about it, uh, the jungle is like like a fairly um, uh, it's 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 not very kind to to human life, right? It's mm. it's it's an area that's that's still hostile. fairly yeah it's it's still fairly hostile, um, as as a as an environment. So yeah, I I, I really I, I wanted I wanted players to to feel the the sweat and the steam.
Jungle Battle from Felsil Arbiter's Mark by my guest Jan, Jan Morgenstern. I was going to ask you as well, Jan, we heard from Jessica Curry earlier, that amazing soundtrack from Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. Uh, have you or would you like to work in that sort of uh, palette with a choir, with, with choral music? Is that something that you'd like to do for either a film or game or TV? Absolutely. Yeah, I would love to. I'm not sure if I have the chops because that's that's the high bar <laughs> to meet. Is it another <laughs> separate skill set? Well, uh, right. spe specifically, uh, um, everybody's gone to the rapture has has yeah. a lot of really intricate mm. uh, um, choral writing in it, and um, well, that's the reason why you don't hear that kind of stuff in games a whole lot. Yeah, also it makes for a very distinct sounding... Um, I mean, I'm I'm kind of glad you don't hear it a lot in that it means that it's very special and especially when somebody as talented as Jessica Curry makes it. Uh, we, we didn't immediately after that game came out experience a raft of substandard yeah. vocal soundtracks, choral, That's choir thing, soundtracks, right, yeah. which would be a shame. But, but that said, I think, you know, there's room for... We don't... We could have more than one every twenty years or something. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Which... I mean, um, usually when you when you hear, it's it's such a rare treat to hear that in games, right? Because usually yeah. when you when you think of uh, choir in in games music, then it's usually in in the form of like a like a ninety piece uh, uh, angry choir shouting vaguely Latin 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 sounding gibberish at you. And, and, and listen, <laughs> I'm as I'm as much to blame for that as anybody else. It's <laughs> what our sample libraries give us. <laughs> Yeah, sure. so that, this was more the... intimate and and yeah, emotional yeah. rather than well, emo different emotions, more uh, introspective emotions rather than yeah, that that the sort of you know Kratos is now tearing the heads off of absolutely uh, demons, that kind of thing. Yeah. Another sound palette that we're going to enjoy now, uh, and this is this will be a piece I think that we've played before. Although normally it's the uh, the se the second game's theme that gets more requests. But actually, for a long time, I preferred this one. Uh, this is the original Silent Hill opening theme by Akira Yamaoka. And obviously, yeah, this is another uh, sound set entirely. Obviously, guitar-led, uh, but in a very specific and particular and in a way that's produced that sounds only like an Akira Yamaoka uh, Silent Hill <laughs> soundtrack. Uh, so was this a game that uh, scared you as a as a youngster? Oh, very much so. Yeah, that was that, that was definitely fifteen year old Jan uh, that picked that that cue. Um, I remember I I was pretty late to the console game. Um, my first console was a PlayStation, mm -hmm. and uh, even even with that, I was uh, kind of late to the party. I think I got it uh, around must have been ninety five, ninety six, because I remember that one of the first games that I got for it was Metal Gear Solid, right? Which appropriately blew my mind because yeah. uh, it was unlike anything I had ever seen before just like anybody else who played it back then yeah yeah um but i distinctly remember that along with uh, um with a uh, with a cd came a demo disc for silent hill that mm. just had the the game's intro which they used as a trailer there with yeah. that that music in it and it just wow it just in produced instant goosebumps for me mm. because um i mean the the trailer the visuals in the trailer haven't haven't aged particularly well just no. like like any pre-rendered -re pre uh, yes. uh fmv from 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 that um from that time period but this the music is still um like i i, I still find it uh, astonishingly beautiful and an and a really 
a really interesting choice to launch because it, uh, as I said, it was also the the opening piece for the original game. Mm. And uh, I think it's still a remarkably inspired choice to open up a, a, a horror game with a piece that's so, so, so beautiful in a way mm. and so melancholy. Because mm. I don't know, a lot of a lot of the horror games after that that I played after that just plunge you into complete oppressiveness from the from the first note, and everything yeah. is terrible. Mm. And I think this this piece in particular makes it makes you care so much about the setting and its characters, and also the stylistic choices are inextricably linked to to this specific kind of uh, kind of horror for me uh, until this day, like the the. The jangly uh, um, surf guitars and mm. the mandolin, and it's it's all it all works pretty much perfectly. I I haven't dared to to uh, replay the game. I'm I'm not sure if it <laughs> if it would impress mm. me as much as it did uh, with sixteen year old Jan, but it's still near and dear to my heart.
was of course the opening theme to Silent Hill by Akira Yamaoka. We covered the entire Silent Hill series on the Cane and Rinse podcast some years ago. Didn't include PT or the playable teaser for Silent Hills. Uh, that's still one that gets requested both internally and externally for us to do a show on at some point. Uh, who knows what the future will hold. So yeah, we did go back to Silent Hill, the original, back in, I guess it was about 2014 we did that series. Um, and yes, it, it definitely has aged, but I'd say it still maintains quite a lot of the atmosphere. Yes, as you say, the both the pre-rendered visuals and the in-game visuals of age, the voice acting is absolutely spectacularly poor. Um, but um, the the actual, the setting and the atmosphere and the music uh, still just about, I'd say, hold it together. But it's frustrating, I suppose, that there is... Uh, we, we also played the Wii game, which was a sort of reimagining, but not... Um, which is also an interesting game in its own right, but doesn't really replace the original game. Yeah, I think I, there, were, there, there were a couple of of uh, sequels that didn't didn't quite hit the mark, right? Mm, yeah, yeah, they they've all got their their pros and cons, and um, yeah, we ended up uh, interviewing Tom Hewlett, who was involved in some of the later games in the series, and talking about what went right and what went wrong, the challenges and the difficulties, and the infamous HD collection, of course. Right. Um, <laughs> But uh, but I still think there's room. Obviously, Konami is uh, is Konami is where Konami is at these days. Uh, yeah. It's curr currently releasing a few bits and bobs, retro collections and things like that in a slightly half-hearted way. Um, it's very hard to imagine them now making, say, a, a if we if they could do what Capcom just did with Resident Evil Two for Silent Hill, that would be amazing. You know, for a sure, com complete modern AAA top tier remake of the original game either uh, that would... or or just sell off the ip ip to someone who cares right yes yes uh yeah i, d I guess they won't be selling it to hideo kojima given the, <laughs> the history between <laughs> them think. at the moment yeah uh, i don't know what other studio that's an interesting question actually which studio would do it would do it justice um huh yeah because you could give it to someone like Swery, who obviously made Deadly Premonition, but it's the the lack of the lack of funds might be an issue, um, if in terms of doing it, yeah, yeah, real... that's that's kind of that's that's kind of a franchise that deserves a triple A treatment, right? Yeah, well, who knows what the future will hold? Sometimes people think franchises are, and IPs are dead, and then they they come back from the grave, zombie like. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not, but. Uh, We'll always have our memories, and Silent Hill 2, I think, holds up better than Silent Hill 1, and there are still ways of, of playing that. So That's right, yeah. Next up, we have uh, the last pick from Jan's uh, selection by other composers, and this is uh, from a similar time as Silent Hill, but couldn't be much more different in terms of vibe and mood. <laughs> uh, this is from Ridge Racer Type 4. So I've said before on this show that when I first heard the Ridge Racer Type 4 soundtrack, I was actually a bit disappointed because it was so much safer than the, pre than the soundtracks of its predecessors, which were nuts. The soundtracks to Ridge Racers 1 and 2, um, or Ridge Racer and Ridge Racer Evolution and Rage Racer, were so insane. And then with this one, they, they kind of calmed things down a bit and went... Um, went a lot more, uh, yeah, a lot more sort of conventional, I suppose. But I think this soundtrack has gone on to become something of a of a, a, a legendary set of pieces. Um, so it was this, you said you got your PS1 in um, mid-90s. Um, 
did you were you were you a Ridge Racer Type Four player when it was new? Is this a nostalgic thing for you? Um, it's not entirely a nostalgic thing, but uh, that definitely plays into it. It's mainly what I listen listen to if I need to remind myself that um, there I wasn't dreaming that there there's there was a time in history when arcade racers had actual music composed for the game. Ah, instead yes. of whatever right. post post grunge bands were up for cross promotion yeah. at that time, and uh, I just think mm. that um, the Ridge Racer, the entire Ridge Racer Type Four soundtrack, is just so polished, and there's also something so so uniquely elating and yeah. carefree and uh, impossibly eclectic about this particular brand of Japanese 90s acid jazz. I just, I just have a big, big, big dumb grin on my face whenever I hear it. Yeah, it conjures a real atmosphere and takes me right back uh, 20 years. This is Move Me by Kota Takahashi.
from Ridge Racer Type 4, one of Namco's many, many composers. A lot of their games have multiple, always have had multiple composers on, really going all the way back to the 90s. But uh, Kota Takashi, apparently solely responsible for Move Me There. I'm sure that'll bring back a lot of memories. We still haven't covered any Ridge Racer on the Kane and Rinse podcast. It's a series that I'm sure some of us would like to cover in some form. We'll look at that in the future. Now, before we talk to Jan a bit more about uh, Felsio Arbiter's Mark and hear his final selection, remember, please venture over to our forum, canarince.com slash forum, or you could do it on Twitter, follow us at canarince, use the hashtag sound of play if you like, or even on our Facebook page, you can request your favourites from the history of video games music, or other oddities and curios we like as well, especially if there's a story behind why you've chosen them. We'll continue to include a selection of those in the playlist for each regular sound of play. Please subscribe to this podcast if you don't already, whatever podcatcher uh, you use. Leave us an Apple podcast or iTunes review or rating. It is really helpful. I know I say it a lot, but listen, if you leave us reviews and ratings, it actually boosts our position in the charts, makes us more visible, and then more people will listen, and then we'll get even more composers on the show because they'll want to spread the word uh, listen to our other podcasts as well we have three other shows Kane and rinse that review show that i've mentioned on mondays playwright on thursdays where we come up with all new game ideas and the sausage factory on fridays where chris o'regan interviews the developers behind games like fell seal i don't actually know if chris has spoken to six eyes studio yet but if he hasn't i'm going to recommend it uh, follow us on twitter as i say at Kane and rinse facebook and instagram too And if you enjoy this show and everything that we make for your pleasure, please do consider donating even just a dollar a month, a US dollar, through our Patreon, patreon.com slash canarince, and it all helps keep us doing what we do. So before we hear about this final piece, uh, thanks, Jan, for reaching out to us and basically, yeah, saying I'd like to come on and play some music and talk about the game. It's absolutely brilliant. (laughs) Of course, Leon. Thank you so much for having me. And so, yeah, before we hear, we're going to hear the end credits now, which seem to be a fitting way to close the show. I hope it doesn't count as a spoiler. But if uh, if you do think it does, listeners, and you fancy playing this game and you don't want to hear the end credits music until you've beaten the game, you have to switch off the podcast before the end this week. Uh, But I think it will just, you know, set the scene nicely and inspire you to do so. Um, A little bit more about uh, Fell Seal before we go. Um, So the art as well. Obviously, you're the musician. Um, it has quite a distinctive art style. Right, yes. Um, in that, it's entirely hand-painted. And mm. um, it is pixel art, but um, they yeah. um, they weren't really going for uh, for putting a lot of emphasis on making it retro, so there's, yeah. there's not, yeah. not much in the way of like visible, visible pixels or anything like that. Um, yeah, it was entirely done by... Uh, to my knowledge, it was it was uh, designed and entirely done by uh, Christina Leclerc, mm. uh, one of the two, uh, one of the, um, um, the like the the core team um, of developers yeah. on that. The Leclerc, it's just <laughs> exactly uh, the two yeah. of them, and yes, uh, I think it's it's gorgeous. Yeah, so uh, Pierre Leclerc and Christina Leclerc, uh, his favorite titles according to the webpage, include Final Fantasies 4, 5 and 6. Uh, we're currently covering the Final Fantasy series on Kena Rince as well. We've done those shows already. And Chrono Trigger, which we've done. And Final Fantasy Tactics and a whole lot of Bioware titles. While Christina says uh, her favourites include Final Fantasy 6, Tactics, of course, uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night, another one that we've covered and we love. Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney, another one we covered as well, actually. And the Mighty Xenoblade Chronicles. And their credits page also lists 
a number uh, in alphabetical order, a number of contractors, including yourself, of course, Jan, who have contributed to this project, a number of pixel artists and uh, concept artists. But this does seem to be, uh, you know, obviously they, they are uh, rightfully crediting all those people who have contributed. But this is like the brainchild and the project of these these two uh, two folks. Yes, pretty much. Amazing. Um, and so uh, so they've been working on it for two to three years? I couldn't even tell you exactly. I know that uh, when I uh, started working on the project, um, they had been... Uh, uh, they had been working on it already for a while, so it must have been at at the very least two and a half, three years mm. that it's been in the making. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so it's out there now. People can buy it and play it. You can get it on Steam or on your Xbox or PS4. Probably, I don't know if you can buy it from the uh, from the Six Eyes website or not as well. Um, doesn't look like it. I think you just buy it from from your usual outlets. Good old games, they've got it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, check it out. Uh, as I say, the reviews have been really, really good so far. It went straight onto my wish list, uh, and it's gone straight on our big long list of games for us to cover on the podcast someday as well. So that would be amazing. Yeah, we'd love to do that. Um, and yeah, if we do, perhaps we can uh, we can get you to put us in touch with uh, with the Leclercs and maybe get one of them to one or both of them to talk about it as well. That'd be amazing for sure. Uh, so final piece then uh, end credits so you're wrapping up I don't know how long the game is to complete uh, is, it, is it is it like a you know a 15 hour job or a 40 hour job or 150 hours like a Disgaea game I don't know um, uh, I think uh, it, it depends a lot on how many of the side, side uh, stuff you, you sure. want to complete uh, from what I've heard is something something between the general range of 30 to 50 hours okay so in a way I, I, I'm sure it, it probably wouldn't mean that you would take your compositional duties on an end credits piece any differently but in a way there's quite a responsibility to close somebody's experience after you know yeah like maybe 50 hours of playing you want something that really you know gives them a nice piece of emotional closure to the whole thing exactly yeah and it's a it's a it's a good opportunity to wrap up all the principal themes um, in the mm. game, and yeah, uh, like a particular challenge with with um, with the end credits uh, theme was that I, I hope I'm not I'm not um, I, I hope I'm not telling any spoilers when I mention that the game has multiple endings. Uh, but the the end credits, of course, uh, wrap up all the all the endings. So um, that's one of the reasons why the first part is uh, kind of a little bit more subdued before it goes all uh-huh. all out for the for the wrap-up of the of the principal theme at the end. The wonderful climax. So we're going to close with that. Just before we let you go, thanks again. And uh, is there anything video game related that you're allowed to tell us about that you're working on at this point? Uh, right now, my next project will be a, um, an animated short film. So uh, nothing in the works uh, that's directly re- related to video games. Do you want to uh, let people know of your uh, contact details here, uh, websites or social media, to, if anyone wants to hit you up about working for them? Yeah, of course. Um, you can find me. Uh, my, my website address is janborgenstern.com. And I'm at Wavecaster on Twitter. All right. Well, thanks again. Been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank Hopefully you. We'll hear from you again. And we'll leave you listeners with the end credits of Felsil Arbiter's Mark. Bye, Jan Morgenstern, and we'll see you next time on Sound of Play. <laughs>